And he was saying, grow in the knowledge of God and grow in your knowledge of Jesus because that's where grace comes. That's how you're filled with grace. That's how you're filled uh, with the strength you need to persevere. He said, grow in your faith. And he says, to faith add virtue and to virtue knowledge and to knowledge self-control. To self-control, self, uh, or perseverance, perseverance, godliness, godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love for all. And he said, if you do that, you're not going to be unfruitful. You're not going to be barren, but you're going to have fulfillment and purpose as God desires you to. You're going to be able to stand strong. You won't run the risk of falling away from the faith, the real risk in verse 10 that he talked about. God will provide us a grand entrance into the everlasting kingdom. So, so last month, it was November, it was right after Thanksgiving, and, um, and we learned that peace is found in the plan, the gospel. Provision is found in the promises. Progress was found in the process. And there's a place found in the paradise for those who persevere. So today we're gonna continue to grow in our faith, and we're going to continue right where Peter left off in Second uh, Peter chapter 1, starting with verse 12. We're going to take this in sections. And so the first section, verses 12 through 15, let's read it. And uh, verse 12, therefore, I'll always remind you of these things, even though you already know them and are standing firm in the truth that you've been taught. And it is only right that I should keep on reminding you as long as I live. For our Lord Jesus Christ has shown me that I must soon leave this earthly life, so I will work hard to make sure you always remember these things after I am gone. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this morning. God, we've been celebrating your birth and your coming to earth. Boy, that rescue mission that you came on. We've been doing that the last couple days. We've been eating too much food and opening presents and having a great time, Lord. And uh, for many people, maybe it's been uh, maybe overstimulation, Lord, the last two weeks in the month of December. And so now, Lord, we land on the other side of Christmas, Lord, still wanting to, first and foremost, grow in our faith, in our relationship with you, our dependence upon you. We want to be filled with your Holy Spirit, Lord, going forth. That's the true strength, Lord. And so that's what we desire, and that's what we're after this morning, Lord, to hear from you and to be equipped, Lord, for the things you have for us this week and heading into 2022. So in your precious name we pray. And everybody said, amen. amen. Peter says, therefore, I will always remind you, say remind, remind. of these things, even though you already know them. Say already know. already know. And you're standing firm in the truth you've been taught. People might say, Peter, I'm tired of going to your church because you keep telling me things I already know. I already have heard this. I know this already. Right? You're not bringing any new epiphanies to me, Peter. You keep telling me the same old things that I already know and I'm already standing in. Why don't you preach something new and, uh, I don't know, something I haven't heard before. And I remember being at North Central University in Minneapolis and it was a Christian college, and so I went there, and I learned that we had chapel five days a week, and we were to be in chapel five days a week, and so I did that for my freshman year and sophomore year and junior year, and you know what? By the time I was in my junior year, I'm sitting, I'm like, we have a new speaker every day, or some of the same old speakers too, and I've heard this a thousand times. I, I started becoming cynical 
in my heart a little bit of, I've heard this, I know this. And I had to learn that a mature Christian enjoys being reminded. And a mature Christian thinks about those in the room that haven't heard it before, and they pray for them while the message is being preached. And a mature Christian waits with pen in hand for the Holy Spirit to give added revelation or application for my personal life. So it's what I've heard a thousand times, and yet the Holy Spirit is showing how is that relevant to me today for where I'm at and what I'm going through. And so Peter says, I will always remind you about these things even though you already know them and you're standing firm in the truth you've already been taught. It's only right that I should keep on reminding you as long as I live. For our Lord Jesus Christ has shown me that I must soon leave this earthly life, so I will work hard to make sure that you always remember these things even after I am gone. That's kind of cool. We need to be reminded also. We do need to be reminded. Children of Israel, if you read the Old Testament, they needed to be reminded, and, and even when they were reminded, they would forget, because that's human nature. They'd forget what God had done for them, and they'd forget the commandments, just the few, and important commandments that he'd given them to live by. Peter's not concerned with providing brand new epiphanies, but, re- but rather reminding them of that which was most important, and he would not be negligent in affirming what was most important. God, Jesus, had spoken to Peter before Jesus ascended, And he talked specifically to Peter, and he said, Peter, the mission I have for you on this earth, as long as you live, is to feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. And so he was going to do it. He was going to not neglect teaching people who Jesus is, what Jesus had done, that God is king, that God is love, that God is just, that God saves through faith. He's not going to neglect teaching about God's kingdom ways, the value, the values, the system, God's system, God's reward. He wasn't going to stop telling them about our identity in Christ, our new life in him, our mission, our principles for growth, the promises that God has for He was not going to fail to just keep on doing that and keep on doing that. You know what? There is greater knowledge to be had at times. Sometimes God will have something brand new for us. Um, and there's something new you'll hear from a speaker or a pastor. But what's most important was to remind of the truths, the historical truths and the life-altering truths that we needed to hear about. And, and the other, other writers of Scripture had the same idea. Paul, in Philippians 3, verse 1, look at the second part of that verse. He says, I never get tired of telling you these things, and I do it to safeguard your faith. So Paul was into the same thing. It's not troublesome for me because I know how important it is. I don't get tired of it because I know it safeguards your faith. Number one today, prioritizing the baton pass. I don't know if you've watched a relay race before. It's it's a pretty simple objective. Uh, Objective is to stay in your lane, run fast, and successfully hand off the baton to the next person. You make that baton as accessible and as tangible as possible in the next person's hand. And that's what Peter's doing. He's prioritizing the gospel, prioritizing the passing on of the good news for all people. Great joy. Uh, Paul, same thing. 1 Corinthians 15.3, he says, I passed on 
to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scriptures said. So Peter, John, Paul, others, they're determined to pass on that which was most important. And you know, we have a chance to pass on the faith. We have a chance to do it. We can be intentional and consistent with this opportunity. I remember um, in Deuteronomy 11.19, Moses talking to the people, and they talked about the commandments of God, the faith that they had. Teach them to your children. Talk about them when you are at home, when you're on the road, when you're going to bed, and when you're getting up. You know, I may not pass on a ton of wealth to my kids, I might not pass off, pass along a great intellect to my kids. I might not pass on good looks to my kids, but I'm going to pass on the faith as, as so far as I have responsibility to do so. When Peter kicks the bucket, people will know what he stood for. Peter says in our main passage, he says, as long as I live, not, not a one-and-done conversation, but he's going to keep on reminding them. And, you know, track and field, those, that last 10 yards is really when they just go all out, right? I mean, they're going all out the entire time, but the last 10 yards, it's every ounce of energy they have to cross the finish line. And that's what Peter's talking about because in verse 14, for our Lord Jesus Christ has shown me that I must soon leave this earthly life. If you read the New King James Version, maybe closer to the Greek, it says, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, just as, the, just as the Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Put off my tent, what's that about? New Testament writers, they often refer to their bodies, their physical bodies, as tents. The term portrays a temporal straight, a, t- a temporal state. It's like a loner. I got a loner right here. I got a rental. And uh, it's not permanent housing. So, you know, you rent a car at the, uh, wherever you go, vacation, uh, that's, that's not permanent. So, 2 Corinthians 5, 1 through 4. For we know, here's Paul talking, he uses the same tent analogy, look at this. For we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, that is, when we die and leave this earthly body, we will have a house in heaven. An eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. We grow weary in our present bodies and we long to put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing. For we will all put on heavenly bodies. We will not be spirits without bodies. While we live in these earthly bodies, we groan and sigh. But it's not that we want to die and get rid of these bodies that clothe us. Rather, we want to put on our new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. That's what we want. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a tent house picture, and it reflects a contrast in glory that is to be. And it, the, the picture doesn't even do justice because the glory is not even comparable with our bodies as to what they will be someday. Peter knows that he will soon die. <clears throat> How does he know that he's going to soon die? Yeah, I'm not certain, but I know that in John 21, Jesus told him, he says, I tell you the truth, that John 21, 18 through 19, I tell you the truth, when you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself, you went wherever you wanted to go. But when you are old, 
There's a clue. You will stretch out your hands, and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. And then Jesus told him, follow me. So that stretching out of the hands, I think that was to signify crucifixion in the same way that Jesus died. And ultimately, tradition has it that Peter did indeed die by crucifixion upside down. After Jesus had left earth, uh, Peter actually had numerous encounters with threats of death, almost imminent death, and yet uh, on many times um, he was released or escaped, and and, uh, he was beaten, he was whipped, he was put in prison uh, a number of times, but uh, one instance uh, in Acts um, chapter 12, we won't go there, but He's chained to two guards, one to each arm, and uh, the prison gates are locked, and there's guards all over the place, and the gates to the prison property are locked. And uh, he probably thinks, so it's Herod Agrippa um, that had him arrested. King Herod Agrippa had already killed the apostle James, and the Jewish community actually uh, liked that, and he saw that, and so he arrested Peter with the plan of putting him on trial following Passover, and, and going on trial he would probably die then that day. <clears throat> so anyway, the church is praying for him, and the night before that trial, God shows up, an angel shows up, the chains fall off of Peter, Peter doesn't know what's going on, he's trying to still stay sleeping. An angel kicks him in the side, tells him, get up, let's go. The, the prison door is open, the gate's open, and he's standing there, and God still had more for Peter at that time. You know, Peter was still to go on to Joppa. He was to go on to Caesarea. He was supposed to meet a guy named Cornelius. Peter, up, up, up until this point, had had a ministry to the Jewish people. And now God was going to say, Peter, now I'm going to have you start ministering to the Gentile nation, the Gentile world. And so, and Peter, I still have some letters for you to write, including Second Peter, which we're reading today. So, um, that's kind of cool. Uh, you know, don't sell God short right. too early. Right. We want to stay in the game until we cross the finish line. We want to go down swinging. We want to go down swinging like uh, Caleb. Caleb in the Old Testament. Caleb in Joshua 14. This is one of the spies, if you know it all, and if, if you don't, it was uh, the children of Israel coming out of slavery out of Egypt and, and sent scouts into the promised land, and they all came back with negative reports. Oh, the people are big, they're giants, they're too big, too many, the fortified cities, scared, and Caleb came back, and Joshua came back with faith. Well, 40 years later, when the children of Israel actually enter the promised land, Caleb is now 85 years of age, and look at this, he says, today... I am 85 years old, Joshua 14, 10, B through 12. I'm as strong now as I was when Moses sent me on that journey, and I can still travel and fight as well as I could then. So give me the hill country that the Lord promised me. You'll remember that as scouts, we found the descendants of Anak living there in great walled towns. But if the Lord is with me, I will drive them out of the land, just as the Lord said. That was a land of, descendants of Anak were giants, very tall people, very strong people. And Caleb at 85 says, give me the mountain with the strongest people on it and the greatest fortified cities. I'm going to take it out with God's help. Sock it to me. 
Yeah. What does God still have for you to do? Because we're on mission until we meet Jesus, we run to win the crown. So here, though, back to 2 Peter, uh, verse 15. Peter, now older, older, is in prison awaiting martyrdom. And I'm sure he's open to new opportunities, open to more ministry, but it appears that he's sensing that indeed he is truly approaching the end of his mission. But beyond his mission, he says in verse 15 that he's working hard so that even after he is gone, there is remembrance of what he has been talking and and telling them. So let's linger here just a moment longer and talk about getting daily spiritual assignments from the Lord. Spiritual assignments. Assignments from the Spirit of God, waiting on the Lord for new thoughts, new desires, new strength from the Holy Spirit, listening each day for marching orders. To rest in Him, to be strengthened in Him, to find ourselves in Him, but then to allow for God as we're in his word and we're meditating on scripture, as we're on a walk, as we're praying, as we're in a quiet room, to let God drop new thoughts into our minds and new passions into our heart for his glory and for his honor of things that we can do or should do or could do for the glory of God. Revelation or inspiration is birthed by the Holy Spirit and it's powerful God gives us a daily assignment or a strategy for a season or for a month or for a couple months. God gives us an opportunity to live for him in a strategic way. And maybe it's as simple as putting in our mind or heart, if you're a parent, how am I going to respond to my teenager in a godly way when, with patient endurance when they act like a teenager? Being intentional with investing your money into things that will produce a spiritual harvest. You know, taking time to call someone, see how they're doing, encourage them in the Lord, because these little things that are spirit-led start snowballs that get bigger and bigger and have such an impact as only God knows they can. Peter was ensuring that people would be reminded of God's truths even after he was gone, and he was doing that by influencing people in the present who would influence others in the future. He's writing instruction in the present, God actually writing scripture through Peter that will outlive him, and it's affecting us this morning. So may we prioritize the baton pass. Verse 16 in our main text Peter continues, for we're not making up clever stories. When we told you about the powerful coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, we saw his majestic splendor with our own eyes when we received honor and glory from God the Father, when he received honor and glory from God the Father. The voice from the majestic glory of God said to him, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. We ourselves heard that voice from heaven when we were with him, on the holy mountain. And so Peter has an account to give. He's got a story to tell. He's not making up stories. It's not secondhand information. He's not giving someone else's account of what's going on here. He was an eyewitness. He said, I saw with my own eyes, heard with my own ears. I'm not fabricating anything. I'm not embellishing anything. It's not emotionalism that's causing me to say these things. It's real deal experience. This is raw testimony. 
He and other witnesses related signs and wonders and miracles that they saw and experienced. Another disciple, John, look at this, wrote in John 1.1, he says, we proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our eyes. We touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. Makes me think of Thomas, one of the disciples who was not with the other disciples when Jesus first showed himself after resurrecting from the dead. And Thomas wasn't there. The other disciples are saying, Jesus is alive. We saw him. We he ate food. It wasn't even a ghost. He was eating food. He, this is, he's alive. And Thomas said, I'm not going to believe that until I can put my finger in the nail holes and put my hand in the, the hole, the side, the scarred, <laughs> encaved hole where the spear got into Jesus' side. And so what happens? Oh, Jesus shows up to Thomas and says, here you go, Tommy. Put your fingers in there, buddy. <laughs> and Thomas falls to the ground and says, my Lord and my God. Yeah, yeah. And so that's what we're talking, and that's what Peter's talking about. And um, Peter saw something amazing here. He, he tells us specifically, he already believed Jesus was the Messiah. He'd already seen lots of miracles. He'd expressed he, that he knew Jesus to be the Messiah. But in verse 18 of our main text, he alludes to a special moment. Second Peter 1, verse 18 we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. All right. This voice and this phrase actually had been echoed earlier when Jesus was baptized at the Jordan River, but this isn't what he's talking about. He's talking about up on the holy mountain. Where is that? What's that about? That is in Matthew 17. Matthew 17, let's go there. It says, <clears throat> we'll pick it up right there. Uh, six days later, Jesus took Peter and two brothers, James and John, led them up a high mountain to be alone. As the men watched, Jesus's appearance was transformed so that his face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as light. Suddenly, Moses and Elijah appeared and began talking with Jesus. And Peter exclaimed, Lord, it's wonderful for us to be here. If you want, I'll make three shelters as memorials. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. But even as he spoke, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Listen to him. The disciples were terrified. They fell on their face, face down on the ground. And so... We're not going to go into detail about Peter's initial reaction. It's funny. It's hilarious. It seems like he's so quick to speak, try to think of something quick to say or do, to take the lead, as it were. And God has to interrupt him. It says, while he was speaking, like light shined crazy. And God said, listen to him. Stop yapping and listen to him. Listen to Jesus. Yeah. Stop taking the lead on everything. Maybe listen to Jesus. Yeah. Right? And uh, so that was a first-hand encounter, a first-hand encounter that Peter had. And let's diverge just for a moment because here we are now, 2,000 years after Jesus lived, died, rose from the grave, sent it into heaven. <clears throat> here we are, 2,000 years later, and we have an opportunity to know Jesus firsthand. 
how? He's dead, right? I mean, dead, rose from the dead, sure, and gone. But how do we have a firsthand experience with Jesus? Jesus told us. As he told the Samaritan woman at the well, he said, you know what? The time has come. Jesus, when he came to earth, he talked to the Samaritan woman. He said, indeed, the time has come, and now it is here. That true worshipers will worship him, will worship God in spirit and in truth. And so... Jesus said that who would ever come to him, who would ever place their faith in him, he would give to them the Holy Spirit. And this was often prophesied. This was prophesied in the Old Testament, hundreds of years before Jesus came. Look at Ezekiel. Jesus wasn't saying something new, but he was saying the fulfillment of that time is here. Indeed, it is here now when people can worship God in spirit and truth. There can be a spirit connection, your spirit, with the spirit of God. And this is how Ezekiel, it says right here, Ezekiel 36, 26 through 27, I'll give you a new heart and I'll put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. Isn't that cool? And so Jesus came and said, the time's here. What Ezekiel had prophesied about, Joel also prophesied of that. Time is here. I'm the connection point. He says in Luke eleven thirteen, he says, so if you sinful people, Jesus talking, know how to give good gifts to your children. You know, Christmas, we just had Christmas. If us sinful people know how to give some good gifts to our children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? John 1, 12 through 13, but to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So very simply it was, hey, if all humanity, this is a simple thing, for humanity to recognize, to acknowledge their sin, I'm a sinner. I have fallen short of the glory of God. God, you sent a rescuer, a rescue boat to earth, in the person of Jesus Christ, you prophesied about it happening. Jesus comes, does what was prophesied. And if we are to place our faith in Jesus Christ, God is to place his Holy Spirit in us. There's a spirit connection. The very spirit of Christ will connect with our spirit. The innermost part of you, the part that will live forever, the part that maybe has been dormant, or maybe your spirit has been searching for God, or maybe your spirit's been running from God, not to stiff arm the love of God, but to throw ourselves at his feet. Like Thomas, my Lord and my God. Jesus, my Lord and my God, I'm putting all my faith in you. Give me your Holy Spirit. Boom! And in a second, we're a new creation. We're born again in the Spirit. You can know Jesus firsthand today by placing your faith in him and becoming his disciple today. Has nothing to do with life, church. Has everything to do with God, Jesus Christ, and you. So cool. We have free literature out in the foyer, and I encourage you to just grab a whole bunch of it and take it home and read and give the church a call if you'd like to talk more and have questions about what it means to have a relationship with Jesus and God. For those of you who have a relationship with Jesus, who know him firsthand, number two... Proclaim your personal account. 
And that's what Peter's doing here. Proclaim your personal account. Give your account. Peter is saying, you know what? I'm not talking about stuff I don't know. I'm not venturing into arenas or um, vocations that I know nothing of. I'm a fisherman, and I'm telling you what I experienced and what I saw and what God did in my life. We have a chance to proclaim our personal account. How has Jesus changed your life? Shout it from the mountains. Telling our testimony should be, listen, it should be a major part of our life. Major part. Doing so helps us to remember what God has done. It helps us. It strengthens our faith. Doing so introduces others to the love of God. They can hear, they can see it, and doing so provides the Holy Spirit with an avenue, right? Truth to affirm, conviction to bring, love to be felt, and that's what the Holy Spirit does. He warns of judgment, he testifies of righteousness, and so telling our personal account, so cool. Revelation 12, 11, look at this, the very end, John on the island of Patmos writing about the future and he said this, Revelation 12, 11, and they defeated, they being believers have defeated him, Satan, by the blood of the lamb, sacrifice of Jesus, and by their testimony, what Jesus did for them. Jesus saved me. Yeah. They defeated him, Satan, by the blood of the lamb and by their testimony. And they did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. It's cool. Jesus died for me. I tell my story, and I'm not afraid to die. There's a lot of fear of death right now. But Christians shouldn't be very afraid at all to die. That's kind of on the low, you know, you got a top 10 list of fears. It doesn't make the top 10 list. It doesn't make the top 100 list. We're actually kind of excited to die. It's going to be a good day. <laughs> but So, <clears throat> as followers of God, we are not told that we have to have all the answers for everybody. We're not told that we must be huge intellectuals, although we should grow in knowledge. We don't have to be philosophical juggernauts, although we can grow in our worldview and our perspective, a biblical worldview. But we are to share our, testimonies, our, our personal story. We're supposed to share our story. There's power in doing that. Have you guys heard of the account of the man who was born blind in uh, the New Testament, uh, Jesus heals him, and he had a story to give. And we're going to look at that. Actually, I'll paraphrase it for you. It's in John chapter 9. And, uh, and so he was blind from birth. And, and the Pharisees, the religious leaders who see Jesus as a threat, um, they hear the story that Jesus healed this guy. And so they come around, and, and they're asking, how, how is this guy seeing? How, and they ask his parents, how, did, how is he seeing? And, they, and they're afraid they're going to get kicked out of the church if they say anything about Jesus. So they say, well, he's old enough. Why don't you go ask him? And they ask him, and they come up to him, and they say, the, for the second time, they call this man who's been blind. They say, God should get the glory for this, because we know that this man, Jesus, is a sinner. So they're trying to defer, separate Jesus from God, and say, God should get the glory. We know this Jesus guy's a sinner. And he says, you know what? He doesn't argue. He doesn't have a lot of intellectual things for him, but this is what he says. John 9, 25, he says, I don't know whether he is a sinner. He actually didn't know. This man replied, but what I do know is this. I was blind, and now I can see. 
And who can argue with that, right? <laughs> the man's just telling the story. And so it is powerful because then the Holy Spirit can take it from there. That's all we got to do. We tell God's story and we let the Holy Spirit take it from there. Proclaim your personal account. Let the Holy Spirit do the rest. Life Church is embarking on a a project this coming month and you're going to see it where we have four life stories from in uh, among some members here at Life Church of what Jesus did in their life. Uh, Just a partial testimony of four different people And it's going to be powerful. And that's going to be, we're going to show them here, but they're also going to be spread throughout the community, social media and otherwise. So just awesome. We're just going to say, hey, here's what Jesus did for us. And we'll leave it at that. Let the Holy Spirit go to work. So just like Peter. We continue in verse 19 of our main text because, talking about the Mount of Transfiguration, you saw Jesus, this light. Because of that experience, we have even greater confidence in the message proclaimed by the prophets. You must pay close attention to what they wrote, for their words are like a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns, and Christ the morning star shines in your hearts. Above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from a prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit, and they spoke from God. That verse 19, let's read it one more time in the, in the King James, New King James Version. It says, And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Peter's saying, the prophets were right. All the prophets and all those prophecies, they were right. They were spot on, all of them. Jesus was born of a virgin, as prophesied by Isaiah. He was born in Bethlehem, as prophesied by Micah. He was from the tribe of Judah, as Jacob prophesied. He was from the lineage of David, as David prophesied. He was pierced for our iniquities, for our sins, bruised for our iniquities, like Isaiah had prophesied. He was born in the exact year in history, as prophesied by Daniel. He died as a lamb, a sacrifice foreshadowed by Abraham and Isaac on Mount Moriah, and as the Passover feast in Egypt signified. He did rise after three days, just as Jonah foreshadowed, and as Jesus himself said he would do. He said, guys, the prophets are flawless. Pay attention to the prophets, number three. Pay attention to the prophets. Pay atten- do we pay attention to the prophets? Do we heed? How familiar are we with the accounts, commands, teachings, instructions, and prophecies of Scripture? Because they shine forth truth in a cloudy culture, and they are rays of truth in a world of darkness. Yeah. Their words are light by which we can discern the present and future realities. David knew that. Psalm 19, 119, 105, he says, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light for my path. So many more verses we could look at there. We could put hundreds of verses up. The scriptures teaching, rebuking, encouraging, equipping the people of God for eternity, speaking of things which are and are to be. Until the day dawns. 
and the morning star shines in your hearts. We are to take heed. We're supposed to pay close attention, not partial attention, close attention, keep growing in our faith, keep growing in our knowledge of Jesus, God the Father, until the day dawns, until faith gives way to sight. And Paul talking to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 5, 2 through 8, he says this, he says, for you know quite well that the day of the Lord's return will come unexpectedly like a thief in the night. When people are saying everything is peaceful and secure, then disaster will fall on them suddenly as a pregnant woman's labor pains begin, and there will be no escape. But you aren't in the dark about these things, dear brothers and sisters, and you won't be surprised when the day of the Lord comes like a thief, for you are all children of the light and of the day, and we don't belong to the darkness and night. So be on your guard. Hey, pay attention to the prophets. Be on your guard. Not asleep like the others. Stay alert and be clear-headed. Night is the time when people sleep and drinkers get drunk, but let us who live in the light be clear-headed, protected by the armor of faith and love and wearing as our helmet the confidence of salvation. God is all about helping us. He's going to keep us strong. You know, we fall down and we mess up, but we, we keep our eyes on Jesus and we keep growing in our faith. It's night right now. The world is in spiritual darkness. Culture is dark, distressed. The kingdom of God is not. It's bright and glorious and rejoicing. It's a party 24-7. The kingdom of God just winning all the time. We are light carriers. Obviously, we're Christ's ambassadors on earth. We are, in one way, lights shining in the darkness. Christ, he makes his appeal through us to people. But here, Peter's talking about the return of Christ when the, the day dawns, Jesus' return. Not going to talk too much about that, the day of the Lord. You can read a lot about that in Matthew 24, Revelation 6, Christ's coming. But Peter says, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Do you guys know what the morning star is? So I, I didn't know it was a real thing. I'm a little ignorant. But the morning star is, uh, you, you know, you could Google Wikipedia this thing. Morning star, most common name for the planet Venus, which appears in the east right before sunrise. So right before sunrise, real bright. Venus there. It's called the morning star. Also, there's another star that's been referenced as the morning star, Cirrus, which appears in the sky just before sunrise from early July to mid-September. So there's kind of two different ones that are called a morning star. It appears right before the dawn. Kind of cool. Uh, the Bible uses that phrase actually more often than I thought. It talks about morning stars in Job, speaking of angels, morning stars, plural. It included, or did include, Satan. He was a fallen uh, star, morning star of sorts. Jesus is referred to as the bright and morning star, the morning star, uh, true self-existent light of the world, bright morning star. Uh, but Peter is saying, till day dawns, until the day dawns, and the morning star rises in your heart. Let's look at a couple scriptures that speak about that. 
Okay, Daniel 12, 3. God speaking to Daniel, and he's talking about the end times. It says, those who are wise will shine as bright as the sky. And those who lead many to righteousness will shine like the stars forever. 1 John 3, 2. Dear friends, we are already God's children, but he has not yet shown us what what we will be like when Christ appears. But we do know that we will be like him, for we will see him as he really is. Philippians 3, 20 through 21. But we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we, eagerly, and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own, using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. So Peter seeing Jeans on that mountain and this light is is we're going to be there's some there's some similarities here. Uh Revelation 2:28 this is cool. And they will have the same authority I Jesus received from my father and I will also give them the morning star. Just kind of need so, something cool is going to happen to these bodies when Christ comes back. Something cool. I don't know fully what that is, what that's like, but it's kind of bright and it's kind of light and it's kind of neat. Pay attention to the prophets. Guys, we need to all the more pay attention to the prophets. 2022 coming. Um let's let's do this. Let's jump on board with one of these guys. And it's a Bible reading plan. This one's kind of a chronological Bible reading plan. If you don't know, the books in the Bible are not in order necessarily. Some of them are, and some of them are not. It's not in chronological order. You got some history, you have some prophets later on that are actually alive the same time as this history is recorded. And so to piece it together sometimes takes a little time, but it is well worth it. There's wisdom literature, there's literature speaking about the future. But a Bible reading plan for this year that we might know and we might be aware and we might be on guard and we might be alert to what God is doing in the times and seasons that we're living in and how to live and where to focus. The last thing God has for us to look at this morning are verses 20 and 21. And this is powerful. Just going to read those verses one more time. It says above all you must realize that no prophecy in scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit. and they spoke from God. Scripture doesn't exist because some people were intellectual or creative. It doesn't exist because some people tried really hard to hear from God and write it down. That's not how it got there. It's not from human initiative. It exists because God planned for it to be written and he moved upon people to write exactly what he needed to convey, exactly as we need to hear. using their perspectives and styles and skill sets of various people God superimposed a love letter to all mankind. He used kings, shepherds, doctors, musicians, all kinds of different people. The Bible 66 books written over 1500 years by 40 different authors. Sometimes people may have been aware that God was using them in a powerful way. Sometimes people had no idea. at all. And and there here's a couple as we conclude. Here's a couple funny fun examples. In the New Testament, there's a guy named Caiaphas. He was the high priest. All right? 
And uh, in John 11, look at this. He's an enemy of Jesus and he prophesies without knowing it. God uses an enemy of Jesus to prophesy about Jesus, right? John eleven forty nine through 52. Caiaphas, who was the high priest at that time, said, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't realize that it's better for one of you, for you, uh, speaking to the Israelites, the people, Pharisees, that one man should die for the people than the whole nation be destroyed. He did not say this of his own. As high priest at that time, he was led to prophesy that Jesus would die for the entire nation. And not only for that nation, but to bring together and unite all the children of God scattered around the world. God uses a Jesus hater to write scripture. How about David? Old Testament, you know, long, a thousand years before Christ, fussing and moaning with exaggerations about himself, actually was writing specifically about Jesus and the crucifixion. There was time, I mean, Peter, David went through some hard times. He went through great times. But even then, he would exaggerate a little bit, or he'd embellish, or he would. And so look at Psalm 22, verses 16 through 17. He says, my enemies surround me like a pack of dogs. An evil gang closes in on me. They have pierced my hands and feet. Well, that didn't actually happen to David. It did happen to Jesus. I can count all my bones. My enemies stare at me and gloat. They divide my garments among themselves, and they throw dice for my clothing, which is exactly what happened when Jesus was crucified. And actually, to begin that chapter, David says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And when Jesus is on the cross, he claims that ch chapter for himself by saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Claim the entire chapter. And if you read that entire chapter, it talks about the crucifixion of Christ and his resurrection. Whoo! Yeah. Yeah. Only God can write a book like that, using people in that way. And he does it throughout. Some prophecies have dual, even triple, or multiple fulfillments on multiple levels. Something that can come true in one sense at one time and then come true again at another time in a greater way. God is not limited. He can have like stacked prophecies that apply in, in really cool ways. One example of that was Abraham and Isaac on Mount Moriah. And Abraham's to sacrifice his kid. Sounds, sounds like a terrible thing. And he's bringing Isaac up to sacrifice. And, and Isaac says, well, dad, we, we don't have anything. We did, forgot the lamb. And Abraham says, God will provide the lamb. And indeed, before he sacrifices his son, God says, stop, do not kill your, kill your child. And they look over and there's a ram caught in the thicket. And they sacrifice the ram in place of Isaac on Mount Moriah. Guess what? Just about 1,800 years later, it was on Mount Moriah that, that Jesus was the Lamb of God sacrificed in our place. Yeah. And it's just powerful, the different levels of fulfillment of prophecy throughout the Bible. So, uh, prophecies foreshadowing far beyond anything that, that invention or collaboration could ever possibly allow for. And so, let those who have spiritual ears hear, spiritual eyes see, and humble hearts receive the graces and mercies of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, this morning. Church, uh, today through 2 Peter 1, verses 12 through 21, God is challenging us to lean forward, to run the race, to pass the baton. He's encouraging us to tell our story, to give our account, family members, friends. 
And finally, God is telling us to pay special attention to the prophets going forward. What is the Spirit of God speaking to you today? God, we thank you this morning for your word. It's just great, Lord, and it fills us with real strength. We thank you for your love that you've lavished upon us. You are awesome, Lord. You sustain us. You feed us, Lord. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He leads me beside still waters. Thank you, Lord, for feeding us this morning from your word. Lord, grant us grace to impact our families and friends and our, for your kingdom. Grant us grace to take little steps of faith each day, Lord, and receive our daily assignments from you, from your word, by your spirit. And uh, thank you for your strength. In Jesus' name, amen.